1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cat Talk Radio. Thank you for listening today. I'm your host, Molly DeVos, and I'm joined today by my handsome husband, Dewey. Hi,
2: Dewey. Hello, my beautiful wife, and hello to all the cat fans out there in the large cat world.
1: We're here today to talk to you about a very important topic. Our Sharon actually suggested this. And uh, we're gonna talk to you today about fostering, specifically 10 things that you need to be a good cat foster.
2: You know, shelters today are so overwhelmed with cats anyway that are needing fostering. And then in the certain seasons, they get overrun with kittens. And uh, you could see that happening quite often. So this is a very important topic. And I know we foster a lot of adult cats. Why do we foster the adult cats over the kittens?
1: Well, that's true. The, the kittens are the most of what you hear about, about needing. I mean, gosh, in the height of our season at the Dallas shelter this year, we had over 200 underage kittens. So what that means for people who are not familiar with fostering is that a kitten has to be two months old and weigh two pounds in order to be spayed or neutered. And that means that's when it can go up for adoption. So when they're underage, a lot of people find them outside, they bring them to the shelter, and when they're underage, they need foster homes to hang out in until they get old enough. And that's usually usually about a month when they're, when they're eating on their own. That'll be about a four-week-old kitten, and you'll need to keep it for another four to five weeks. And then we get bottle babies in, which are very difficult to place because just like infants, these kittens need to be fed. They can't eat on their own, so they need to be fed through a bottle with special milk, by the way, never, never cow's milk, um, every two to three hours. So it's got to be a foster that can either take a kitten to work or works from home maybe and, and and can do that. And then, as Dewey was saying, there are special needs adult cats that need fosters. I like the ones that have come in with really damaged legs and have to have their legs amputated and and they need to... You know, learn to. They go through a lot of pain, obviously, before surgery, after surgery, rehabbing. You know, learning to balance, build strength. We've also foster paralyzed cats, and and why you asked why? Why do I do that over the kittens? Well, we do foster kittens too. We have yeah, fostered hundreds and hundreds of kittens over the years, but when these special needs cats come in, the amputees, um, because I'm a Reiki master. I find that the reiki goes a long way into healing these cats faster than they would just left on their own with a you know with a space and a roof over their head and food. That that, that daily multiple applications of reiki throughout the day, as well as intense physical rehab with them, it's a very challenging thing. It's also very rewarding to see those cats overcome major trauma and, and come out the other side, you know, healthy and happy and ready for their forever home.
2: Interesting. You know, I, I, everyone says that your fosters are the best cats. So what can you say specifically that you do differently to make them that way? I know Ricky is one of them, but what else do you do?
1: Well, in particular have a developmental, a behavioral developmental window from about three to 12 weeks on arguably on, on the outside and three to seven weeks is, is what's clinically said. But I think there's you know still some opportunity if you start young beyond that. And so what that means is that everything that that kitten is exposed to during that time, it will be comfortable with later on in life. So if a foster is a female-only household, <clears throat> excuse me, I have a kitten in my throat today. <laughs> <If> a, <laughs> if a, not a frog. I never good. get frogs in my throat. <clears> throat. Like if a woman who lives alone is fostering kittens and <clears throat> she's got that kitten from, you know, three or four weeks up until nine or ten weeks then, and, and nobody ever comes over and sees the kitten, and it's just her, and it's a very quiet household, and there aren't other cats, and there's no dogs, and nothing for that kitten to, to have experience with, then later in that cat's life, when it's living with, you know, a man, and a house full of kids, and lots of noise, that kitten's going to probably react in a, in a shy way. Whereas if the kitten gets lots and lots and lots of exposure and handling and things like that, it makes them more confident and outgoing and social. So when we foster kittens, we do everything we can to socialize them. Everybody, we keep them in our office. Everybody that comes in gets a chance to meet them. They get handled we handle them in ways that the vets do so that they're experienced with that. We put them in carriers, take them on rides. We we do all kinds of things to expose them to multiple scenarios so that they know later in life that, that that's not going to get them. That's not something they have to be afraid of. And then the adult cats, um, a lot of these cats have come from situations of abuse. So they need to simply learn to... I say simply, but learn to trust people again, and a lot of that is scheduled daily prey playing. Um, you know, we had a foster here recently, Blueberry, sweet Blueberry, came in the shelter with buckshot, you know, lodged in his spine and his body. He had a broken hip. He had just all kinds of things. This, it was clear this cat was living on the streets. He was unneutered male, big old fat-cheeked, beautiful blue tomboy. And it was very clear that this cat was terrified. He wasn't being aggressive because I think he knew that he was immobile. He, he basically could not get up and walk around with his hind end. And um, he would just be frozen in fright. And he'd stare at you with these giant green eyes like, oh, my God, is she going to get me? Oh, no, oh, no, no, what's going to happen next? And, you know, he would flinch a little but he basically was just frozen. And it took a couple months to get him where he was comfortable around just people in general. So we went through with the amputation and then that was causing a lot of pain post-surgery and had to get him through that with uh, supplements. We did CBD, we did therapy, and, and his remaining leg was very atrophied. So that had a lot to do with helping him to exercise. So we did lots of prey play, taught him to walk on a leash and a harness. And, um, you know, after about six months of rehab here, intense physical rehab as well as emotional rehabilitation, he's the best cat ever. One of our best friends in Santa Fe fell in love with him and adopted him. And, uh, yeah, I think our fosters are, are really awesome cats because they get everything a cat needs in, in terms of stimulation and nutrition and exercise in the course of a day. So that
2: was a so, long answer, sorry. <laughs> nah, no worries. But all that of kind of sums up to something that sounds like imprinting. You do some imprinting on them that basically gives them everything that they need, gives them the interaction, so that way they're not as concerned or fearful as they move forward. And I can think of several of those that that were that way from, from beginning and then later on were very interactive with uh, their future families. So um, to move on just a little bit, I wanted to talk to you about some of the things that uh, you and I had spoken about fosters before. There was 10 things that we kind of wrote down. Um, So I wanted to kind of dive into those 10 things and let you talk a little bit about each one of those. Um, The first one is as it relates to fostering and the question, what do I need to be a good foster person? And I'm sure that there probably are lots of people that think about this and they think, oh, my gosh, I love those animals. I really want to foster them. You know, but there are some things here that they should hear before they go and dive off into that. And the first one that you you brought up and mentioned uh, is time. So what kind of time does a person really need to devote to become a foster?
1: Yeah, a lot of times, you know, shelters are drowning in kittens and cats and they kind of make it sound like, oh, just if you have a spare bathroom that you can let these kittens hang out in. You know, just, and it, it makes it sound like all you got to do is, you know, throw food in there once a day and, and that's it. And, and that's not really what fostering is about. So it is a time commitment. And that answer to that question depends on what you're fostering. So if you're fostering a bottle baby, like I said earlier, you have to be prepared to feed this kitten every two to three hours. And that includes through the middle of the night. Um, until it can begin to eat gruel, and gruel is like a a watered-down kitten wet food, baby cat wet food, until they can be eating gruel on their own. And so that's a major time commitment. You have to keep the kitten warm. Uh, Oftentimes that means against your body, you know, or a a very, very low setting heating pad and things like that. Um, So a, a newborn kitten is the biggest time commitment that there is. Kittens, um, you know, they need to eat multiple times a day. So you have to be available to feed them at least three to four times a day. Um, But other, you should be playing with them and you should be socializing them. So, you know, that's going to take some time to spend with them. And you're spending that time away from your own cat so you you've got to take that into consideration as well and then an adult cat if it has a injury then you know you're spending a certain amount of time again rehabbing them socializing them so it is a time commitment it isn't it isn't a matter of just let's throw it some food and and be done there there is more of a time commitment so you should consider that before fostering do you really have the right amount of time to devote to this project for the next usually minimum of of a month
2: so you know that really sounds kind of scary you know if i'm thinking about fostering and and the way you presented that it sounds like oh my god I, I wouldn't have the time for that. Can you give an idea of approximate minutes, hours a day, that all that may be? Because I know there's food timers that you could add to that as far as the feeding schedule goes, you know, things of that nature. We, we want to try to encourage people to foster, but also consider the amount of time. So what do you think a, a good time, you know, of a day somebody needs to think of to, to set aside?
1: I'd say, you know, again, with bottle babies, that's that's a big commitment. Um, if you can be there with them, you know, if you can do a little bottle baby Bajorne wrap around your neck and keep it warm against your body and then feed it every two to three hours, you know, if you're spending, you know, um, probably 15 minutes with preparing the food, so you know, bottle feeding or syringe feeding it and then cleaning up the supplies afterwards, you know, 15 minutes every two three hours. It, it's, it's time consuming. But, oh, my gosh, it's rewarding as heck. I mean, these bottle babies are the ones that are the most in danger. You know, the shelters, very few shelters have round-the-clock staff to care for these little guys. So when they come into the shelter, if they're not out to foster or into a rescue group by the end of the day, they don't have any choice but to euthanize them because otherwise they're going to starve to death. So it's very rewarding. And it doesn't take long before those little bottle baby kittens are eating gruel. And, you know, it's it's a couple weeks at that intense time. And then kittens, you probably need to allocate at least two hours over the course of a day. But if you've got a family and kids, you can make assignments to the kids. And what a great way to teach kids how to properly interact with cats and kittens, you know, you teach them how to pray play and, you know, somebody gets to pray play with the kittens for 10 minutes in the morning and someone in the afternoon and you, you know, assign feedings, kids get home from school, you teach them how to prepare the cat's foods, nothing better than involving the family in a fostering so that it's a a family activity and something very rewarding for everyone to do. I mean, and, and and as far as the adults, depends on what you're dealing with. In terms of rehab, you know, the most intensive rehab case we've probably ever done was Rescue Kitty. And she was completely paralyzed from her waist down and had to wear diapers. And every time she went to the bathroom, we had to change the diapers and give her a bath and dry her. And then physical therapy, she, she was a huge project. But I got her walking in about nine weeks of, of rehab. But in those nine weeks, I pretty much had to put my business on hold and was spending five or six hours a day with her. So that, that was a big commitment. But, um, but just regular fostering, you know, behavioral fostering, the shelter will help you with what to do and um supplies and things like that. So it's it's not as scary as it sounds. It's much more rewarding than it is scary.
2: Yeah, and if I hear you correctly, it sounds like um you know the more um the cats need a uh, physical uh therapy uh process and the bottle babies seem to take the most time. So if somebody's thinking about being a foster and they are a full-time employee and they have a family and all of that they probably should consider what type of fostering they want to do and what resources to do like you mentioned a minute ago about uh, children Uh, they're a good resource uh, uh, for you to help the the kittens play and and the cats play a little bit so that's good good information okay as we move on to the next one this is an important one also because I remember we went to someone's house, I believe, and they had a an extra, uh, a, like a mother in law house or something out back, and and I believe the lady had dedicated the whole place, bathroom, living room, the whole yeah. back end to cats. And it was interesting. I was thinking to myself, uh, well, this is a perfect world because you know they have their house up there, and they come back to this house, and the cats are all back here. That kind of, and the cats have a full house to work in, and and mess around. But I'm sure not anybody listening to this would have the ability to build their own house for the cats because that sounds like a perfect scenario. But let's talk about space, which is number two on our list. what do you, What's your thoughts about space? Because not everybody has an extra house.
1: Yeah, and that person was Mary Spencer, a woman that has done wonderful, wonderful things for our community, um, animal community here in Dallas. And she had a little guest house that wasn't being used out back. And so anytime we had litters or cats that were in need, she was very, very generous in, in opening up her space to, to those in need. But you really don't need that much space. Um, A spare bathroom is all you need for a litter of kittens. Sometimes a bathtub is a great place to put a litter of kittens because they can't get out. They're confined, (laughs) and it's easy to clean up. Um, So you don't need much space. We have uh, a large space because we live in the back of a warehouse in Dallas, and so we have a dedicated foster room, a whole room that's set up just for fosters, kittens and adults alike, and um, and so we have a space to work out of. But if you're in a home, all you need is a spare bedroom, bathroom. Even if you have, you know, children, you could put fosters in your child's room and again involve them in the care. So space is a very little requirement, but you do need to think about it. Where are you going to put these kittens or cats where they you know have access to a litter box and all the things that they need and is that going to be comfortable for you you know is it going to be your bathroom or is it going to be a bathroom that's unused and you know something you just need to emotionally and physically consider and be comfortable with
2: you know as we think about the space you also have to consider and think about other pets that you may have in the home which is number three on our list You know, if somebody is in love with her pets at home, they probably will go somewhere and see, you know, cats that need uh, to have, uh, need to be fostered. But at the same time, you got to consider space, the people in the space, and also the consideration of your uh, current animals. So talk a little bit about what it means to be a foster and still have your own permanent animal.
1: Yeah, and that's one you really should consider. Um, because if you have cats, and you are considering fostering kittens or other cats, you need to know that your cat's going to see that as a territorial invasion. Even if you have your fosters out in the guest room or guest house, and you go out there and you spend time with them, and you come back, you smell like them. And they think, hmm, where's where's the strange cat? It's coming into my house. So your cat needs to be of the type of personality that this isn't gonna cause a great deal of stress on them because stress will take a physical and medical toll on, on your cat. So, you know, look at your cat's personalities. Tabasco, for instance, always hated our fosters. He still hates the kittens. I don't know what it is with the kittens. But if we have an adult foster, he actually gets to know them pretty quickly and can be a very comforting presence to the adult fosters. The kittens, he just doesn't want to have anything to do with. He hisses and growls, and so, you know, it's too much stress for him for whatever reason. You also want to make sure that you're keeping your fosters separate from your animals. So if you have animals at home, they need to be kept separate, at least for the first couple of weeks to make sure that there's not any illnesses. It's very, very common for shelter kittens and cats to have an upper respiratory infection. That's kind of like kennel cough in dogs, <coughs> or kennel cough in me today. Sorry, and <laughs> and it's not unusual. And it's a viral thing. It's it's easily fixed with antibiotics and and time because it's a virus. But it's also highly contagious. So. If you have kittens, you want to keep them separate from your cats until they. It's they're sure that there aren't any, you know, airborne illnesses or diseases that you're contending with in the kittens. Kittens also, it's very very common for them to have intestinal parasites, Giardia, Coccidia, some things like that that are also contagious. And so you want to make sure that your cat's not using the same litter box as new kittens coming in. Give them a couple weeks to make sure that. Anything that might be harboring in their system is, has already been resolved and, and worked out. And if you have dogs, and your dog is really nice with your cat, but now you're bringing in kittens, you're not sure, you just, there's no way to predict how a dog's going to act around new cats or kittens. So go real, real, real slow. in in introducing and combining and integrating your foster families with your own pets and watch very carefully for signs of stress, especially in your cats. So dogs aren't as territorially territorially motivated generally as cats are. Your cat's going to really feel like their territory is being invaded by a competitor and that can cause stress. We don't want to cause stress. In fact, right now, we can't foster because of Tabasco's medical condition and the additional stress another cat in the household would be to him. So you need to take your own pets into consideration first. They're your babies first.
2: You know, that was interesting. We heard from two different types of vets uh, as it relates to Tabasco and fostering, and both seem to say the same thing no more fostering until you know things with him get worked out and that was that was interesting that everybody had that same same thought and and i don't think as pet owners we think about that uh, you know we think about okay some of these other things that we're talking about here but do you consider how, what effect this has on your current pet? so that, well, that was that's very important
1: a lot of people don't even think about that when they're going to adopt a new pet. You know, they assume that I'm going to get a buddy for my cat. Well, cats don't take to buddies real well. That's not wired in them. They're a highly territorial species, and they've got their territory, and they're, they're geared up to protect it. So when you bring in, you know, another animal into the home, that's, that's a threat to them. Whether that's an adopted, they don't know that they're fosters and they're just there temporarily and going to be moving out. They think you've adopted a whole litter of kittens or you've adopted a new cat. So, yeah, it's definitely something you need to consider. What's the next thing?
2: The next thing we're going to talk about is um, the consideration of other people in your home and their interaction with the fosters. So, you know, I think we've seen examples where, the wife goes out and finds uh, some foster she wants to foster and brings them home and surprises her husband with them. And husband is kind of like Tabasco is with the kittens. He's hissing and growling and, you know, he's <laughs> you know pissed off about it. Uh, you know, of course, he he, he doesn't want to interact with them. So let's talk about what that means to you and what kind of consideration you should have for that as you think about being a foster.
1: Yeah, fostering should be something that involves uh, everyone, the whole family, everyone in the household. Or at least, you know, if they're not involved in it, they need to they need to be on board with it. They need to know expectations. What's coming into the home? How long are they going to be here? You know, is is it going to what's it going to do to impact our schedule and our routine and what do you expect of me? Make sure that the expectations of everyone in the household are well lined up and that could be simple that could be there's no expectations i'm going to do everything all you have to do is you know put up with maybe a slight smell if there's any or sound or you know me being in there with them away from you for a certain amount of time a day or I expect you to handle and play and I expect, you know, little Charlie to feed twice a day. And, you know, it, it's fun if it's a family activity, but the family should be considered before you start fostering and it should be discussed with the family as a whole. What's going to happen here to set realistic expectations? So, yeah, that's a good number four.
2: Yeah, that, I think that's a, a, um. A, well, all of these are very important, and each one of them, I can see how the level of importance, as we talk about it, could grow a little bit because there is an interaction uh, with uh, your life, uh, especially if you're an active life and you go out and do things uh, after work and you have people that you meet up with and then you need to go home. It's kind of like those people that have dogs that they have to run home. They can only be out for an hour or two at the most before they have to run home and and take the dog out for a walk. Um cats have to have some of that also, especially when you're fostering. So that brings to bring us brings us to another point number 5 which is just as important and as we talk about it could grow on that scale also financial ability because it does take money to um, take care of medicines or take care of food or certain yeah. things uh, within this you know kittens are, are you know they need more they need lights on they need litter box they need litter they need all these things and you know this shouldn't be something that financially puts you in the hole so talk a little bit about that
1: most shelters or rescues will provide the medical resources if it's not something they have in house like if you're fostering for Dallas Animal Services or the Santa Fe Animal Shelter I know both of those intimately they have you know large in-house veterinary services and you schedule times to go and and you don't have to pay for those so and then other rescue groups that don't have a brick and mortar shelter usually have a relationship with a vet that where they get um, special rates discounts on their on their cats that they rescue and so if you're having a problem or need to go in those services are are paid for so usually that is not a financial expectation of a foster however you should absolutely discuss that with the group that you're fostering for what what is to be expected for you to provide and what will they provide Um, a lot of shelters like dallas animal services send you home with a a litter box and at least a bag of litter and a bag of food and some supplies like that as they have it available on hand not all do a lot of rescue groups expect you to provide all of the materials for for fostering so that is something that you should ask about you know when when i foster i tend to want to do everything the best right way so you know we only feed royal canin baby cat wet food and that's expensive stuff (laughs) so it can get very expensive um you know we have a separate foster room set up with its own litter genie and its own litter box and you know you have special kinds of litter for kittens that you wouldn't use for your regular cat and so on and so forth so it 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 can be a financial consideration so if finances are something that if you're on a budget, you need to discuss that with the rescue group that you're looking to foster for and find out exactly what they expect you to provide and what they're willing to provide.
2: You know, that's interesting, and I think that's probably a topic for some conversation about how to get resources in the event that uh, you are fostering and you do want to reduce the financial burden on on you as a foster. Uh, I think so many people probably foster fail that they go ahead and wind up keeping the uh, cat in-house. But, you know, if you're going to become a foster, maybe you uh, want to think about just the fact that there's a time limit to when you want that to to be. And I think that leads into our next number six, uh, which is um, be realistic. You know, be realistic about what you're doing uh, as a foster. You're there to foster the, the kitten or cat? Maybe? No. no, no. Okay. Well, no, then I'll let you take
1: re, it Read down the list. That's number eight. Uh, <laughs> to be realistic, number six means be realistic on what you can handle. For instance, we had a litter of six Russian blue male kittens, and oh my goodness, they were like two-year-old little boy children. They were Everywhere they got into everything. Six little kittens can poop a lot. I'm telling you what, it was a constant nightmare. And it wasn't a nightmare, I don't mean to say that. <laughs> it was a lot of work. I mean, they were everywhere. I don't think we've had a more active group, even in spite of the Giardia or Coccidia that they got. Oh, it was a mess. You know, we had to have two or three litter boxes in there for them. And scooping was a constant chore. And because when they get those intestinal bacteria, oh, their poop smells horrible. And, you know, now I'm like, yeah, I think we want to stick to litters of maybe three or four. Six and above is a lot of kittens. And, and a lot of people don't have any trouble with it. And, and they think that's great. So be realistic into what you personally can handle and have time for. If you don't have time for more than, you know, one kitten, then just foster one. A lot of times if you foster two, it takes a lot of the burden off of you because they'll play with each other and keep each other entertained and they may not be meowing and crying for attention as much as if you just have one. But if you don't have the ability to keep up with six kittens, then only go for two so be realistic in what your all of these things we're talking about and what your time availability is your space availability what kind of stress is it going to put on on other pets and people in the home and what's it going to cost you so be realistic about this list and don't bite off more than you can chew because I can tell you Six kittens was more than, than we could handle, more than we'd want to handle. We did it, and we got through it, and they were wonderful, wonderful kittens. And it was funny, and it was fun, and we wouldn't change the experience for anything. But I also, when I go down to get my next litter of fosters, it's not going to be a litter of six. It's not going to be more than four because I need to be realistic on what I can actually do.
2: That's a good point. And I didn't know where you were going with that, but uh, that's a good point. And so um, moving on into number seven, uh, transportation for boosters and vet visits. So yes. assumably you have to be able to set, again, I think it goes back to time. Can you? Do you have time and do you have the transport capability to be able to get them to the vet? So I'll let you talk about that.
1: Mm -hmm. Right, because whether you're fostering kittens who need regular booster shots throughout the time that you're going to be fostering or adult cats that have medical needs, they need to go to the vet from time to time. So you need to have reliable transportation. I think sometimes we take for granted that everybody has cars, but some people travel by public transportation. And, you know, can you take a cat or kitten in a carrier on public transportation. Uh, I don't know, never tried that personally. So, although that might be something we should do for our kitten experiences. Let's go for a ride on a dart train. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Let's go back to realistic.
1: Oh, okay. (laughs) I think, I I believe that public transportation limits, you know, uh, animals that are service animals, but I don't know. At any rate, the point here is you need to have reliable transportation to get your fosters to the vets on time so that they can get their boosters and vaccines and see the vet at their prescribed visits. That's number
2: seven. Number seven. All right, let's move on to number eight. What about thick skin? You mentioned that uh, a minute ago when I was talking about that, you said that's number eight. So tell us, explain to us what it means to be a foster and have thick skin.
1: Yeah, and what that means is a lot of people foster fail. That doesn't mean you're a bad foster or you've failed at fostering. It's a endearing term that we use to say that you, well, you did fail at fostering because fostering is all about moving that animal on to its forever home. You're not supposed to be the forever home. So we call it foster failing, Um now, when you, you know, we all fall in love with them. I, I cannot tell you every single cat I have fostered, people say, Oh, you, he loves you and you love him. You're going to keep him, aren't you? And I go, No. And I'm, like, I'm a, you know, cold hearted witch. And I'm like, Of course I love him. I love all of our fosters, but I am his stop on the road to making him healthy. And, to, and able to go on into a permanent home. If I foster failed every time I fostered, I'd be a hoarder, and I could no longer foster because I wouldn't have the time or the space or the finances, you know, to, to be able to take on more. So you've got to have thick skin, meaning you have to emotionally be able to fall in love and let it go at the same time. And, and that's really hard. In fact, it's impossible for some people and not, none of us are here to judge you on that. It goes back to being to number six, to being realistic, be, you know, realistic about what you can handle, not only physically, but emotionally. Can you, you know, I cry every time my fosters get adopted. I you know i i it does it. it doesn't break my heart that they go. I'm happy that they're going on, but of course i'll I miss them I love every one of them dearly and deeply, but I also have a responsibility to Tabasco and the next foster, so I have to have thick skin in order to both love them and let them go so unless you plan to be a foster failure, which is gonna take you off of the foster home market. You know, and then too, I think you just really need to look at why you're doing this. You know, are you are you doing this to shop for your next cat and you're kind of trying it out? That's okay. And seeing if you bond with the cat and if you do, then that's gonna be the one you adopt. That's perfectly okay if that's why you're fostering. Are you fostering to help the shelters? to prevent more euthanasia and if that's why you're doing it you probably want to keep your home open and available to more in need because that's an endless bucket there's always going to be more in need in, in the foreseeable future anyway so have thick skin if you are intending to keep your home open as a foster home and uh, learn to love and and let go
2: yeah, that's and that's a big one. I think that's the let go part is the hardest thing that fosters probably do after they get attached to one. Uh, letting it go is a difficult thing. So, um, so we move on to number nine, and this is uh, something that I think is probably again one of those that you sort of rise raise the bar up to. But observation skills, and I'm assuming that means you want to ha- kind of observe. Uh, what's happening, and see what's you know what's what the cat's good habits are and bad habits, and try to work with that. Is that what you're saying, or describe? Um, it?
1: What what I mean by having good observation skills is this foster that's in your home is a strange animal. It's one you don't know. You don't have a baseline for what's normal for that foster and how it feels how it behaves what it's doing so it's hard to to decipher when it's not feeling good in cats it's very hard to decipher when a cat isn't feeling good anyway because they're so good at masking their emotions particularly pain to avoid vulnerability so you have to have like just you know csi level observation skills to really watch you know which in, on the starting just base level you weigh your kittens every day I'm observing their weight I'm keeping a log are they gaining weight are they losing weight are their stools firm whose stools are firm if're you're, if you're dealing with a group of kittens is there somebody that has diarrhea which one of them has diarrhea you know are is their body language is this cat's tail always Twitching Is it always agitated? Does it urinate two times a day or ten times a day? And what's normal for that cat? Is it, is it eating? Is it not eating? Is it, is it gobbling its food down or is it a snacker? I mean, you, you really got to get to know this cat so that you know what's normal and what's abnormal because we really want to watch, particularly in kittens that can crash so fast, we want to watch for things going on, you know, being hyper vigilant about being observant is, is very important so that you can catch things early before they develop into something, you know, something serious, you know, is a kitten's tummy really bloated and always really bloated or just after meals or is this particular kitten's tummy really hard or, you know, what's, what what is going on physically and emotionally with that animal? You, you want to be very very observant so that you can can understand what their needs are.
2: Yeah, and you could always pass that on to whoever the permanent uh, person that's coming in to adopt. You can talk about what you've seen and observed uh, throughout the foster and that
1: uh, rolls cycle. Into, that rolls into number ten.
2: And that rolls into number 10. And our final piece is social media savvy. So talk to us about being a social media person.
1: Yeah. So one of, one of the things that shelters and rescue groups are looking for you to do is to help find permanent placement for your foster. And the easiest way to do that is to share your foster's journey on social media Take pictures when they first get to your home and and introduce them to all your friends here's little my little fall litter of foster kittens you know pumpkin autumn witchy and you know and take great pictures and as their stay with you unfolds, post regular pictures and talk about their personalities you know pumpkin is the is the this is a high energy one of the group he's a little male orange boy that loves to pounce on all his brothers and sisters he's the little mischievous boy and um you know stuff like that it, share their personalities on facebook so that you never know who in your friends that's gonna just catch their eye i have adopted out more cats more fosters From Facebook posts than I can even begin to tell you. And I never, so I'm totally blindsided by the people that respond and go, Hey, I'd really like to come meet that cat. And I'm thinking, What? I didn't even know you liked cats. I mean, you just, you never know who in your social media sphere is just gonna fall in love with one of your fosters because of you sharing their personality and lives with them. And they feel like they've, you know, they've learned a lot and, and and grown to to know that cat through you. So, you know, I, I guess being social media savvy is probably a, a little over the top, but just, just share it with your friends. Let everybody know you're fostering. It might even, heck, it might even encourage other people to foster. They go, wow, that looks like fun. I want to foster. So you might be inspiring someone else, as simple as that, and or you might be helping to find a, a permanent home, trust me, it's a whole lot easier to let go of your fosters when they're going to one of your friends than it is they're going off to an adoption center and you just have no clue who's adopting them or where they're going, which is fine too, as long as they get adopted all, that's great. But when they go to one of your friends, as many, many, many of ours have, um, oh, it's awesome. You, you get regular updates and photos, and you feel like that cat has stayed in your life. So share on social media. It's good for everybody. And that finishes our list. Time, space. Mm, we got time, space, consideration of other pets in the home, consideration of the other people in the home, and financial commitments, being realistic about what you can handle, transportation for boosters and vet visits, having thick skin to be able to love and let go, having great observation skills and to share that foster on social media with everyone.
2: And And that's a good segment here. Well, thank you Molly for another great episode and why don't you talk to people about why you do this?
1: We do Cat Talk Radio because it is an outreach program of Cat Behavior Solutions. And Cat Behavior Solutions is a nonprofit that's dedicated to reducing cat shelter surrender. And the way we do that is we want to correct and prevent problem behaviors in the home because there's nothing like peeing on your shoes or scratching up your expensive furniture or things like that or aggression that lands a cat in a shelter faster i mean those are the reasons people give up their cats so we want to fix those things in the home before anybody ever comes up with that idea to to surrender their cat that's why we're here
2: and you provide so many great resources for everyone i'll go through a few of those resources that you provide and you know and you also would provide more if somebody wanted to email you and ask you questions about where do i get resources we talked about some of that here financially if uh, they need are needing some help in the shelters uh, or some of the groups that are locally maybe you could give them some ideas but some of the resources that you do provide already which is a great store one of them is a great store that you provide uh, the behavior boutique at catbehaviorsolutions.org there's, uh, and I can tell everyone listening to this podcast that uh, Molly does a lot of research before she puts anything on her website. If it truly has a significance in changing the behavior of your cat, she will put it out there and she does a lot of good, deep research before she does. So it's not just a store, it's a store of true behavior products that can help you uh, and your cat get along better. She also provides an informational, rich blog, which I encourage everyone to go out to catbehaviorsolutions.org and take a look at. Uh, She posts a lot of stuff on Facebook, which is very informative. Uh, Cat Behavior Solutions is also a page we would like for you, if you're listening, to go out and hit like because we would like for you to like the page. Um, We also do this weekly podcast where Molly provides a lot of advice, um, a lot of free information, and a lot of education that can come from these podcasts. Uh, Molly does virtual and in-home consultations. So if you're listening to this or you know someone uh, as you're listening to my voice at the moment who comes to mind that has a problem with their cat and it seems to be behavioral, Or any problem or issue at all, uh, give Molly an email at molly at catbehaviorsolutions.org. She'll be happy to respond to you and set up maybe a consultation virtually or in your home. Uh, She also does educational uh, seminars and speaking engagements. So if you'd like Molly to come to your local area and do some of this, uh, please reach out to her. And she would be happy to set up a time and and a way to get there. What's also talk about the fact that there is a lot of free information here and there's a lot of research and study that goes behind this and that takes time and time means money and we would like for you to consider a tax-deductible donation to Cat Behavior Solutions through the donate button on the website we would love to uh, have you do that and uh, as we continue to grow this And we want to reach out further and further. And the more that we can have your support, uh, the more we can reach out further. Molly, any last words?
1: We're going to be still doing all this stuff as long as I can keep the lights on. And as long as shelter euthanasia is the number one cause of death in cats. So thanks for joining us today. And until next time, keep calm and
0: purr on. Looking for products that address specific cat behavior issues? On our website, cattalkradio.com, you'll find things that will create enrichment in the environment for your cat, toys that will reduce boredom, the world's best and safest nail clippers, and much more. All proceeds support our mission, reducing the number of cats surrendered to shelters. Stop by the site and pick up a few tips and tidbits for your cat today. Visit cattalkradio.com and look for The Behavior Shop. You can be a cat lifesaver by helping to keep us on the air. In the U.S., about 10 cats per hour are euthanized in shelters due to behavior issues. Thanks for tuning in to Cat Talk Radio. Please join your host, Molly DeVos, for another episode of the program on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, go make a connection with your feline friend.